0: Well, good morning all, it's great to be with you again. It's been interesting, there's been a lot of emphasis this morning on the Lord Jesus. And of course, there should always be a very strong emphasis on the Lord Jesus. But I sense it particularly this morning in the songs and hymns. That's interesting to me because we're going to be focusing actually on Jesus himself this morning. So let's pray. Father, we come to you in that name which is above every name, the name of your precious Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for a Saviour who tasted death for every man. We're glad now that he is crowned with glory and honour in your presence. And we thank you that one day he will leave the presence of his Father and come again to planet Earth. That's a great day we look forward to, Father, and we thank you that it's coming. And each day we live, it's one day closer. And Father, we want to hear what you want to say to us this morning about your Son. It may be familiar to us or most of us, but we ask that you will strengthen our faith and gladden our hearts and enable us to love our Lord Jesus all the more as we understand more fully what he has done for us. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to help preacher and hearers. in Jesus' name. Let's begin by reading a few verses from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it or overcome it there came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. And at verse 29, the next day John, this John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize in the Holy Spirit I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God interesting that you've been talking about Keswick this morning because one man who was a well-known and well-loved Keswick speaker was a personal friend, particularly of my wife's and somewhat of myself as well, George B. Duncan. And George Duncan used to tell a silly story about a man who was found wandering about in New York, wearing, what well, a strange clothes and a very strange hat, on which the four letters appeared B-A-I-K. A stranger approached him one day and said, Excuse me, sir, would you please tell me what these letters on your hat stand for? Oh, certainly, he said, I'll do that. The letters stand for, boy, am I confused. (laughs) Uh, And the stranger said, well, yes, 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 but the trouble with that is that uh, that's not how we spell confused. It is spelled not with a K, but with a C. And the man replied, Well, that just proves how confused I am. A silly story, but it reminds us that the world is full of very confused people. It's not serious being a bit confused about trivial things that don't matter very much. But when it comes to spiritual things and eternal things and our relationship with God, if we're confused about these things, it is very serious indeed. So there are three statements in the passage we read just now, which tell us something about our Lord Jesus Christ. What are they? Number one, Jesus is the Word of God through whom the Father speaks. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, the Word became flesh, and lived for a while among us. Now you and I use words. Sometimes we use too many, especially those of us who preach. But we use words to communicate with one another. And of course, not surprisingly, God does the same. He speaks to us through words. And Jesus doesn't only use words, he is the Word through whom the Father speaks. If we move over to Hebrews chapter 1, we find that the writer of that letter writing to Jewish Christians who were struggling, he begins his wonderful letter with these magnificent words. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers in the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son. Whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. And if we go forward to Hebrews chapter 11, we find there, it is written in Hebrews 11, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Now, our universe fascinates many people, particularly scientists. But the one great thing the Bible tells us about the universe is that it was created ex nihilo by God. And that's a little bit of Latin for you, for no extra cost. And ex nihilo means out of nothing. Hmm. How did God create the universe? Well, the Bible tells us he spoke the world, word, the universe into being. He formed the universe by His command. That's how powerful God's word is. He can create a universe just like that. Well, if His word is as powerful as that, it must surely make a powerful impact upon us. Our Lord Jesus made a wonderful statement one day about the words He was using. And I find this very helpful and very inspiring in John chapter 6, verse 63, he says, The Spirit gives life, the flesh, that's our human nature, counts for nothing. The words that Jesus said, I have spoken to you, are Spirit and their life. What does that mean? Well, I think it's right to understand it to mean that the words that our Lord Jesus speaks, and I don't think he would apply poorly on every occasion, why should it? But the words that our Lord Jesus does speak from time to time are charged with Holy Spirit power. Let's realize that we who are Christians, we who are here this morning because we love the Lord and want to worship Him, we are people who have been born again. And how did we come to be born again? Well, do you remember the conversation the Lord Jesus had with a man called Nicodemus, one of the Jewish leaders and teachers? And Jesus said to this man, unless a man is born again, and the word could be be translated as born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I tell you the truth, unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. When we hear the Gospel, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, something is happening beyond what we are experiencing initially. We're being born again from above. The Holy Spirit of God is at work. And we're born again into the true believing family of God. It isn't very very popular to say this, but it's true. The only genuine Christians, the only people God recognizes as genuine Christian believers throughout the whole world, those who have been born again. Are you here this morning and you haven't yet been born again? Possible, possible. You see, many people think they're Christians because they have been brought up in what some still choose to call a Christian country, though it's hard to believe that. Some think they're Christians because they were sprinkled with water when they were babies. Ah, that's not true. That's not what makes a Christian. We must be born again of the Spirit. The words that I have spoken to you, said Jesus, are Spirit and they are life. In chapter 5 of John's Gospel, we read that one day Jesus was in Jerusalem and near the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem there is or was a pool which is called Bethesda and which was surrounded by lots of disabled people who believed that when an angel came down and disturbed the waters of the pool, the first person in, and only the first person in, would be healed. And one man had been lying there for 38 years. That's a long time to lie in the same place. And Jesus saw him, and knowing he'd been in that condition for that time, asked him what seems on the surface a strange question to ask. He asked him, do you want to get well? Would you like to be healed? Are there actually sick people who don't want to get well? Oh yes. Oh yes there are. But there are. Because you see, once we're not, when we're not well, we have less responsibilities. Other people take some of our responsibilities, and the more ill we are, the less responsibility we have. And some people hate responsibility, and if the illness is not too demanding, well, They don't particularly want to be healed, even today. Well, this man was quick with a reply, and he explained that when the water was troubled in the pool, someone else always got in first. He had no one to help him. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. But once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. Jesus spoke with authority And his word was charged with Holy Spirit power. And after 38 years of being immobilized, this man gets up and walks away. The words that Jesus speaks are charged with Holy Spirit power. And, said Jesus, they are life. They are life-giving. Still in chapter 5 of John's Gospel, in verse 24, Jesus said... Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. So we hear the gospel, we hear the good news about Jesus, who he is, what he's done for us by dying on the cross for our sins. And we believe in him, we put our trust in him, we yield our lives to him, and through him we come to know God as our heavenly father. And Jesus says, when that happens, that person of whatever age receives eternal life. And then Jesus adds this little bit of extra. He says he will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. The only genuine Christians on the face of the earth are those who have been born again of God's Spirit and, in being so born again, have crossed a line. There's a demarcation line between the realm of death. And the realm of life. So those who hope they're Christians, imagine they're Christians, think they're Christians but they're not born again, they are not genuine Christians, they're not saved from their sins as yet. And where are they living spiritually? They're not in the realm of life. And that means they are in the realm of death. And sometimes God uses that very fact to make people think twice about whether or not they should believe in the Lord Jesus and yield their lives to him because until a person really comes to know the Lord Jesus as a personal saviour and Lord A. they are not yet born again and B. they are still living in a rather horrible place spiritually the realm of death isn't it so good so wonderful so encouraging to realise that once we cross that line we don't go back we may slip our backslide in our Christian life but that doesn't mean we cross back into the realm of death no, no we walk now, we live now every day, even though we're feeling sluggish and tired and not very well we're in the realm of life and not out to put fire into us and we realise what it means moving over to chapter 10 of John's Gospel Another thing that John records of Jesus saying always blesses me. Jesus says there in verse 10 the thief comes, who's that? The thief is Satan. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy all over the world the spirit of God is moving and all over the world the devil is moving. And he's stealing blessing from people. He's stealing life from people. Stealing them and seeking to destroy them, even kill them. And by an amazing contrast, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life, and not just any old life. Have it to the full, have it in great abundance, have it with all its enrichment. Two completely opposite things. Satan seeking to destroy life and spoil life and wreck life and keep people away from God and Jesus speaking life into people's lives and calling them to be born again and cross that line out of the realm of death into the realm of life. On Monday evening of this past week one of the most saintly, godly men I've ever had the privilege of knowing was promoted to glory. Some of you may have heard that Jim Graham, who was pastor of Gold Hill Baptist Church for 26 years, and prior to that was in Dunbarton Baptist Church and then Viewfield Baptist Church as pastor, about the same age as myself, almost identical with my age. Jim, if you had the privilege of knowing him, you wouldn't forget him. Not only was he a great preacher and Bible teacher and pastor, but he was such a gracious, godly man. Some years ago we had him as a guest speaker at Kirky Baptist over the weekend. And in the conference session on the Saturday morning, I knew him already from the past I was speaking with him. At the end of the session I went forward and I said, Jim, would you pray for me? He said, yes I will, Sandy, of course I will. But first of all I want you to pray for me. And do you know what he did? He knelt, knelt at my feet. Oh, I had difficulty praying. I had difficulty praying with the tears pouring down my cheeks. And I tell you, when I got the word just the other evening that Jim was now at home in glory, I sat there and I wept. Do you remember what happened when Lazarus? took ill and died. John chapter 11. Lazarus was one of Jesus' special friends and when he took ill, his two sisters with whom he lived naturally sent word to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is sick. And by the way, that's a wonderful argument to use in prayer. Because we have all heard people praying for loved ones and saying, Lord, you know how much he's done for you, you know how much she loves you, you know how much this. And they're pleading the quality of the person's life they're concerned about. But these women were smart enough to use a much, much stronger argument. Lord, the one you love is sick. That's a far stronger argument when we're praying for somebody no surprised the disciples were because when Jesus got the message he didn't hurry back to Bethany where their family left he was in no hurry to get back and it seemed strange when he got there he discovered that Lazarus was dead and already four days buried and both the sisters came out and they both treated Jesus with the same words Lord if you had been here my brother would not Have died. But Martha said, But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She knew that and she believed that and she hoped for that. And of course, that day hasn't come even yet. Jesus replied, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die even though he, even he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you know I get sad? I'm thrilled every time I quote these words of the funeral service in the crematorium or the graveside. What words of triumph. What words of hope. Jesus has destroyed death for the Christian. We may die physically. So what? We don't die spiritually we don't die spiritually we fall asleep joined by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ and we wake up in heaven what a prospect what a glorious hope we have Jesus said the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life he is himself the resurrection and the life do you know why cemeteries are called cemeteries Because the word symmetry comes from a Greek word which means a sleeping place. And the New Testament speaks not of the death of Christians, but of their falling asleep. That's a wonderful sleep to look forward to. Amen. Who is Jesus? He's the word of God through whom the Father speaks. Secondly, we read in chapter 1 of John's Gospel, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and I want to say something in that connection that's not often said and perhaps not believed by everybody he is the Lamb of God in whom the Father suffers now we rightly focus on the sufferings of Jesus it was his sufferings his death that made it possible for God to forgive us justly and give us a new life with hope and blessing galore But the father must have suffered in the process of giving over his son to death. You see, we rightly focus on the crucifixion, the point in time at which Jesus gave up his spirit, having taken our sins upon him, having been made sin for us, and experiencing the consequence of sin, which is death. If we look at St Corinthians chapter 5 we learn something there that helps us to understand the whole idea of the Father suffering along with the Son. There in St Corinthians 5 Paul writes and says, if anyone is in Christ, now by the way we speak more about Christ being in us than our being in Him. The New Testament chooses to emphasize more the fact that we are in Him. Yes, it's wonderful that He is in my life and in yours if you know Him as Savior and Lord. But we are also in Him. The idea of her, my little life being hidden in His great, big, wonderful life, it's magnificent. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And then Paul adds this. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against him. God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. You see, years before, three and a half years before Jesus died on the cross, the Father looked down from heaven one day and he saw his Son in the muddy waters of the River Jordan being baptized by John the Baptist. And the scriptures tell us that at that point, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit came down on our Lord Jesus and remained on him, as we read in John's Gospel. Came down like a dove and remained on the Son of God. And the Father spoke. He spoke to his Son. And he said, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. I think there was a smile on God's face that day. As he looked down and saw his Son. You see, already, already 30 years before that, he had come into a body of flesh like ours. What for? To identify himself with humanity and its humanness. And as he was facing the cross he was going a stage further. Now he was identifying himself with man in his sinfulness. But remember John's baptism was a baptism for sinners only. So at that point Jesus was in in the act he took was identifying himself even then with our sin don't tell me that as the father looked down from heaven and saw the Lord Jesus bloodstained having been brutally handled -handled, manhandled treated by his enemies nailed to the cross crying father forgive them they don't know what they're doing The father must have suffered. How can any father see that and not suffer? You may disagree with me, I don't mind if you do, but I, I believe the father suffered. There was no smile on his face that day. He was sorrowing. And yet he was grateful for the obedience of his son to that sacrifice he was making for you and for me. Yeah. He's the Lamb of God in whom the Father suffers. But before the crucifixion ever took place, something that led up to the crucifixion was taking place. And what was that something? It was something that you and I experience in different ways at different times. It is there in Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, we can read about it, Mark chapter 8, remember the day when Jesus asked the disciples who do you say I am and quick as a flash Peter answered you are the Messiah and immediately after Peter uttered these words Jesus spoke to the disciples saying what he said he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders chief priests and teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again He said, the enmity of those who were disturbed by the witness and the ministry and the activity of Jesus Christ. Those Jewish leaders and teachers who knew the Old Testament and ought to have welcomed the Messiah when he came. They hardened their hearts against him. They saw him as a danger. They were felt threatened. Their reputation was threatened by this Rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth. And they built up in their hearts... A deep and terrible sense of hatred of the Lord Jesus. In their hearts they rejected him. Now you and I all know what rejection feels like. Yes we do. We all know what rejection feels like. Even children, even children experience sadly sometimes a sense of rejection and that sometimes at the hands of their own parents. Shocking though it is, sadly it can and does happen. The rejection was there in the background long before Jesus suffered on the cross. If we skip over to Luke chapter 10, the time when we read about Jesus sending out 72 others in addition to the 12 already having been out on mission trips. He gave these 72 others instructions as to what they were to do and what they were not to do as they went out to reach unbelievers with the gospel and to minister healing and so on to them. What was the last thing he said to them before they went out? This was what he said to them. He said, He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. In other words, Jesus sent them out saying in effect, Expect through your ministry A mixture of acceptance and rejection. Not everyone will accept you, but understand that when they accept you, they're accepting me, Jesus. And when they reject me, Jesus, they're automatically rejecting my Father who sent me. Now, already we've mentioned two things this morning about a person who may imagine he or she is a Christian but isn't really a Christian because they haven't come to know the Lord Jesus personally and in a life changing way we've noticed that unless they're born again they're not genuine Christians we've noticed that unless they are born again they have not crossed that line into the realm of life they're still living in the realm of death here's a third thing those who reject the messengers of Jesus you and I when we try to share the gospel with somebody we love and care for and want them to know our Lord Jesus and be saved from their sins and they say no I don't want that I'm not religious don't don't talk to me about these things Hmm? ever heard that? oh yes I've heard that it wouldn't do any harm sometimes to tell them what they're doing hmm yeah wouldn't do any harm but I have to tell them. You know, you could be born again into the family of God. You're rejecting the possibility of being born again. You could cross the line out of the realm of death into the realm of life. And you're rejecting that. You're throwing that away. And what's more, in rejecting me, offering you the gospel, you're rejecting the Savior I represent. And what is more, you're actually rejecting God as Father. There are people, that some of you may know them, foolish people, who think... Who think they know God. Who think they have God in their lives. But they haven't got Jesus. They're deluded. They're deluded. Jesus said, nobody comes to the Father except through me. If there was another way, well, we'd be be given an alternative. But there's no alternative. It's Jesus only. And so, sometimes it helps people to smarten up. It shocks them a bit. When we realized how un- when they realized how unsaved they are, they're not yet born again. They hadn't yet crossed out of the realm of death. And they're saying a great big no to God Himself, as well as Jesus. There used to be a man, someone might have remembered him or come across him, he was a character. He was a brigadier general, <laughs> a man called Frost, surname Frost. And he, he came across a bunch of young people one day having an open air and they were calling through their loudspeaker equipment to the crowd and saying, dear friends, dear friends, dear friends and they were trying to interest them in, in the gospel and Brigadier General Frost said, give me the mic, give me the microphone He took the microphone, He looked into the crowd and he said dear enemies of God, listen to this <laughs> they wakened up, they began to listen oh yes, because we're enemies of God if we refuse the gift of his son oh dear, oh dear, dear Who is Jesus? He's the Word of God through whom the Father speaks. He's the Lamb of God through whom the Father, in whom the Father suffers. And he's the Son of God through whom the Father saves us. And we've been emphasizing that very much already. How does he go about saving us? Well, by reaching us where we are. Reaching us where we are. Isn't it really moving to read in Genesis chapter 3 that having created Adam, given them Eve to be his wife. He tested their love for him, their obedience to him, in one way, one way only. There was one tree in the Garden of Eden from which they must not eat the fruit. Otherwise they would die. Hmm, die, yes. Now these two, Adam and Eve, were innocent. They'd never sinned. But they were human. Ah, they were human and the devil came in disguise and tempted Eve to sample the forbidden fruit and she said, well we mustn't do that because we'll die, God says we'll die if we do that, ah, he said that's rubbish God's not like that, he wouldn't do that to you oh, that's better so the woman takes the fruit, and shares it with her husband and instantly something happens to them what happened to them? they felt ashamed they felt guilty and they tried to hide. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid among the trees. And what did God do Did They go back to heaven and leave them to their, their thoughts. No. He called out. Where are you? Where are you? And maybe this morning, if you don't yet know the Lord Jesus as your Savior and Lord, maybe, 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 God is saying, where are you? just face up to the fact that they're in the wrong place you're not yet saved from your sin you need Jesus where are you? well, that's how God operates reaching us where we are I love the story of Bartimaeus our Lord Jesus was on the last journey he was going to make into Jerusalem where he knew what awaited him in arrest and trial and suffering and death, he knew all that was ahead of him and as he and those who were travelling with him came through Jericho, as they came out of Jericho there was a blind man called Bartimaeus sitting at the roadside begging. And he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth who was passing by. And he began to shout and shout and shout Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd and others tried to shut him up and stop it making a noise and being a nuisance but there was no shutting him up. He cried out all the more loudly have mercy on me. And Jesus Mark tells us Jesus stopped. He's on a momentous journey, his last journey into Jerusalem. He's facing the agony of the cross. What thoughts may have been in his mind? But for one blind beggar at the roadside, he stopped. He said, call him, call him. So they called Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus comes to Jesus. And Jesus issues him with a blank check. He said, what do you want me to do for you? What would you like me to do for you? That's a blank check. And of course the answer is very predictable. Jesus knows the answer. But he wants to draw it out from Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus said, Lord, I want to see you. I want my eyesight. And Jesus says to him, your faith has healed you. Go on your way. I love that. For the sake of one blind beggar on the roadside, Jesus stopped. On a very, very special journey. He reaches us where we are. Where are you this morning? You're hiding from God? See, even Christians hide from God sometimes. Why would we want to hide from God? Well, when we're disobeying Him. When He's told us not to do something, we keep on doing it. When He's told us to do something, we just don't do it. And we tend to hide from God. We're not very keen to read our Bible. We're not very keen to pray. Hiding from God. Listen, if you're in hiding from God this morning, come out of hiding. Come out of hiding. God wants to forgive you if you've been disobeying him. He wants to help you to face facts and get on doing his will and pleasing him and serving him and loving him and enjoying his love without anything being spoiled. You see, Jesus receives us as we are. We haven't time to go into the story of the prodigal son and you'll miss your lunch today. Jesus receives us as we are. Accepts us as we are. That must have happened to the prodigal son. You know the story, most of you. The boy who wanted to have a ball and Persuaded his father to give him his share of the inheritance money. Off he goes and has a ball for a while in a foreign country. But he's spending his money carelessly, lavishly, foolishly. And the time comes when there's nothing left. And there's a serious economic problem in that country he's now living in. And he has little and virtually nothing. He remembers the family at home, his brother and his servants. and Oh, they're all sitting down to a three-course meal. Decides to go home. And when he comes home, his father sees him even before he gets to the house. His father rushes out to meet him, throws his arms around him, hugs him, kisses him, welcomes him. The boy never gets to make his speech of apology. father says, my son was dead, is alive again, he's lost, we've got to celebrate. God loves celebrations. (coughs) Jesus welcomes us, receives us, as we are. And it renews us, as we've seen in Second Corinthians five. It doesn't pass us up; it renews us. We become brand new—a new creation. That's pretty wonderful. And also restores us. Back in the days of Joel, who wrote the prophecy about the coming of the Holy Spirit, God said through Joel at that time to his people: "Then I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. That land had been devastated by a plague of locusts; they'd lost everything in a sense." And God says, I'm going to supply your needs. I'll restore to you the years of locusts of Eden. Many of us have spent times shorter or longer drifting from God, even though we knew him. We've lost out. And yet when we come back, God says, OK, I'll make it up to you. I'll restore to you the years of locusts of Eden. One more thing, and I must share this with you. Back in the Old Testament, there are some people who are called minor prophets. Now that doesn't mean they were coal miners. It does mean that uh, they had a particular ministry, but it was a fairly short one. They didn't prophesy all that much. And one of these prophets was called Zephaniah. And Zephaniah was led by the Holy Spirit to write these words to God's people of that day. Here it is, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is with you, he is mighty to save. Or one translation says, He is a warrior who gives victory. You need victory this morning? It's available. He is a warrior who gives victory. You need to be saved this morning? He is mighty to save. And then the prophecy continues God, the Lord your God, will quieten you. He will quieten you with His love. You'll experience, you're all uptight, you're all anxious, you're all afraid. No, no, He will calm you down with His love. And then it says this, He will rejoice over you with singing. It's a wonderful picture. It pictures God as a mother with a little baby. She's holding that baby in her arms, and she's so thrilled to have this lovely, healthy child in her arms. She's talking rubbish to the baby, probably. And she's crooning and cooing and singing a lullaby. Oh, her baby! That's the picture! And the Bible tells us that's what our God is like! That's what our God is like! You know, you may feel that God's upset about something with you. Well, maybe He is. But there's another side to God. He's very pleased in many ways with what He sees when He looks down on you and me. If we're doing His will, if we're living the way he's called us to live, if we're loving him and blessing others, then he's pleased with us. Maybe he's even singing over you even now. Rejoicing over us in song. Oh, if that doesn't bless you, I don't know what will. I don't know what will. Well, there it is. Who is Jesus? He's the Word of God, through whom the Father speaks. The Lamb of God in whom the Father suffers. He's the Son of God through whom the Father saves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you have told us this morning. Much of it we knew already. And yet we thank you for reminding us of the precious truths about your precious Son, our precious Saviour. Father, we ask that you will continue to work in our lives. We're so grateful for what you've done already. But we do want more and we ask that you will keep us to the end of our life spiritually hungry and thirsty wanting to know our lord jesus more fully more intimately wanting to know more of your holy spirit at work in our lives and through our lives reaching out to those around us we thank you for all that you've given us already we thank you for all that you have planned to give us in the days and months and years ahead we yield ourselves afresh to your wonderful control and we ask that you will help us every day to renew our commitment to our risen Lord and to desire always what will please you our heavenly Father now to him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory, with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Saviour, be glory and majesty, dominion and power. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and always. Amen.